Father in heaven, we want to approach your word with a sense of humility, recognizing today that, that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And more often than not, our default is to walk in the flesh. But today we want to walk in the spirit. We want to think with the mind of Christ. We want to hear what you have for us today. So as we're opening up these pages, God, cause us to see more than just ink on paper, more than just thoughts of an apostle of long ago, but really cause us to hear a living word from the living God. Lord, we pray for your spirit to apply uh, all that grace is meant to do in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, amen, amen. Amen. All right, go with me. Ephesians chapter 5. When you're there, say, I'm there. All right. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, we started Ephesians chapter 5. The initial appeal in verse 1, if you remember, it just says, hey, be imitators of God as dear children. You remember that call? Be imitators. Mimic. Be like Mike, so to speak. Be imitators of God as dear children. And we saw that that imitation of God, following God's example, it it expresses itself in three ways that we walk. We walk in love, we walk in light, we walk in wisdom. That was last week's message. Today, as we're looking at verses, I think it's starting in verse 22, 22 and onward, what we're seeing is that that walking in God's way, that imitation of God, is actually to be exercised in three spheres of relationships. All right, starting in in chapter 5, verse 22, and then into chapter 6, there's three worlds, three spheres of relationships that Paul wants us to imitate God when we have received grace. And the hinge verse between walking in God's way and walking in these three relationships is verse 21. So let's read that together. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. The New King James says it like this, one simple phrase, submitting to one another... In the fear of God. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Today, the message is entitled, A Vision of Submission. Dun, dun, dun. I, I had a friend who is following along. She, she doesn't live here in Fort Collins, but she's following along in the series. She's been enjoying the Ephesians study and stuff. And she admitted to, to Debbie, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of not looking forward to this one. <laughs> It's a vision for submission. I realize that there are going to be some things that maybe aren't necessarily PC to talk about, all right? But this is, this is God's word, and we want to hear what God wants us to hear. Amen? Amen? Can we do that? Yeah, so this hinge verse, it's connecting the dots between how we walk in love, light, and wisdom, and the way that we apply those things in our relationships. And how do we do that? It's through submitting to one another in the fear of God. So as we reverence who God is, as we acknowledge of, uh, who God is and, and really humble ourselves before him, guess what? We're going to humble ourselves with one another, before one another. The phrase or the, the word that I'm going to use is mutual submission. See, the way that we imitate God in relationships, the way that we walk in light and love and wisdom in our relationships is through mutual submission. Mutual submission to one another in the fear of God. And by the way, mutual submission, this is what makes the Godhead so beautiful. Mutual submission is not a human construct. This is the very nature of God. This is the character of God. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, mutually deferring to one another, mutually submitting to one another, each one giving honor to the other, never trying to exalt or elevate oneself over another. This is the beauty of the character of God. And this, I would submit, is precisely what Lucifer missed. When you read in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, where Isaiah, you know, kind of puts a magnifying glass on the heart of what was taking place in this fallen angel. He says he, he, he wanted to uh, ascend to the heights. He wanted to exalt his throne to the farthest reaches of the north and all these things. And it culminates with this last phrase, he wants to be like the most high. You read that in Isaiah 14, verse 14, I will be like the Most High. Well, that sounds like imitating God. That, that, that sounds like what Paul is calling us. Don't you want to be like God? Here's the thing. What Lucifer missed is that he wanted to be like God in capability, but not in character. He misunderstood the beauty of God's power is not that it's absolute, but it's absolutely selfless. You see, we have a skewed picture of God's power sometimes, but God is really powerful not to rule over all, but to, serve, to save and to serve all. Praise Him. Praise Him. And so, as we dive into this, uh, this section of chapter 5 and then into chapter 6, we're going to ask this question, what is mutual submission? The beauty of who God is, how do we imitate God's mutual submission uh, in three spheres of relationships, the relationships that are most common to our everyday experience. And it starts with the most intimate and kind of works its way outward. All right. So here we go. Ephesians chapter five, verse 22. What does mutual submission look like in the marriage, in the home, in the marriage relationship? And I would submit to you, it looks like love and respect. Love and respect. If you're in the habit of taking notes, go ahead and write this down. Uh, love and respect. Actually, we get these words from the end of chapter 5. So let's start with the end in mind. Chapter 5, verse 33. The Bible says this, Nevertheless, let each one of you, speaking to husbands and wives, let, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the summary statement of what mutual submission looks like in the marriage. It looks like love and respect. So now let's go to verse 22. Paul is going to kind of address individuals or different audiences at a time. He starts with ladies first, right? Ladies first. He says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Verse 24, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Ah, this is a hard saying, <laughs> yeah? And again, you know what, maybe not every one of us is, uh, is in this life season where we are in a marriage. Uh, maybe we're preparing for marriage. Maybe that's something of a past chapter in our lives. But I tell you what, there is still something God wants us to hear here. And so what is it? Let's not get confused. Let's not get confused or carried away by these terms of uh, subjecting or submitting and, and headship and all these things. Because really, Jesus is our model. Amen? Amen. 
Jesus is our model here. If Christ is the head of the church, then being the head, being the head is, is not about control and dominance, but about care and compassion. Amen. Okay? And so what, what, what does Paul want wives to hear? First of all, in verse 22, it says, Wives, let me turn the page here again. Wives, submit to your own husbands. And what's this last qualifier? As to the Lord. As to the Lord. In other words, uh, one version actually says it like this, as you do to the Lord. As you do to the Lord. So the possibility of submission is only possible in the realm of a submitted relationship to God. Okay, so it talks about sequence, that, that phrase, as you do to the Lord, there's a sequence involved. You can only do this as you submit yourself to the Lord or when you submit yourself to the Lord. But I would also say there's a similarity dynamic as well. Similarity, submission to a husband, a wife's submission to her husband is to reflect the church's submission to Christ. That is that it's voluntary and not forced. Yeah. That it's a response of love to love. And that it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how the church submits to Christ. Not, not because we're held uh, you know, hostage by it. No, because we want to. Yeah. The church submits to Christ as a response of love to love. Like God loved us first. That's why we love him back. Amen. And the church submits to Christ because and only by the power of the Holy Spirit. This, this is what wives are to hear. And so again, it, let's not get confused or carried away by this headship terminology. If Christ is the head of the church, then it's, again, it's not about control and dominance, but it's about care and compassion. Remember, the head of the church, Jesus Christ, he gathered his disciples around and he said, hey, I don't call you servants. I call you friends, right? John chapter 15, verse 14. And then in Hebrews chapter 2, we are told that the head of the church is not ashamed to call us brethren. Wow, that's the head of the church looking at the church saying, hey, these are my brothers. These are my fellows. These are who I have brought into relationship with myself, accepted in the beloved. And so if this is what Christ-like headship is all about, then maybe submission is not about inferiority but about functionality. It's not about exalting self, but elevating others. That's what being the head is like. The head like Christ is like. And so what should wives hear in this? Well, it's not an admission of lesser worth than a husband, but a call to humbly appreciate different roles of equal value that have been divinely ordained by God. Okay, Again, it's not about inferiority, but about functionality. There are functions, roles that God has divinely ordained husbands to share in and wives to share in. And it's a beautiful thing. And so husbands, what are husbands supposed to hear in this whole headship talk? Husbands, hear this out. Headship is not a reason to <laughs> puff our chests, but to bow our knees. Because Christ-like headship is not a title to just assume to ourselves. It is a calling to live up to. A high calling to live up to. So how can I fulfill this sacred calling of being a head like Christ? Let's keep reading Ephesians chapter 5, now verse 25. Paul's addressing husbands. Husbands, 
love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. You're asking yourself, how, how do I prepare for a marriage when I can, where, where I can be a, a head like Christ? Or how can I redeem my marriage so I can be a head like Christ? It starts with loving like Jesus. Amen. <laughs> loving like Jesus. And, and according to verse 25, how is that? It's by giving ourselves for our wives. To love like Jesus is to love sacrificially in initiative-taking selflessness, where giving is the default not taking or demanding. Notice uh, the, this description of love continues in verse 26. Loving like Christ, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Do you realize that the love that Christ has for us as a church has a cleansing, transforming effect on us? Have you experienced that in your own testimony? That when you realize the love of God, wow, that totally changed how you responded in life. If we love him, we'll keep his commandments, right? In the same way, in marriage, when a husband chooses by grace to exercise sacrificial love, do you know that your love will inspire your wife to be the best version of herself? That's Christ-like love. Where, where your, your love actually covers your wife's blemishes and frees her to live in the beauty of God's grace. Wow. If you ever start noticing that the impact of your interactions with your wife, I'm talking to my brothers, I'm talking to husbands here. If you start noticing that your interaction with your wife actually impedes their ability to live out their full-fledged calling in God, there may be more taking and demanding than there is giving and providing. Okay? Now notice in verse 28, this, this idea of giving, providing continues. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Wow, Christ-like love as the head guards, cares for wives like you would for your own well-being, like you would for your own safety and security. It communicates provision, right? It also communicates priority, you know? Uh, I don't know how many of us guys would willingly go without a meal. <laughs> uh, Maybe that's just me. Okay. We all know the hangry effect, right? We, we don't, uh, if, if we're willing to, to alter our schedule in order to provide for ourselves, ought we not to prioritize caring and providing for our wives? Now, what's interesting is that this word uh, nourishes and cherishes it also communicates an idea of proximity. To cherish literally means to warm by keeping close to your own warmth. So the idea of Christ-like love doesn't keep our wives at a distance, but seeks to bring them in and warm them through our own warmth. And then in verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. There's, there's an idea of permanence there. This union is just as lasting as you are you. Right? You're never not going to be you. And that union is just as lasting as that identity. 
There's a permanence, a provision, proximity, priority, even permanence there. It's a beautiful thing. Love and respect. This, this mutual submission back and forth between husbands and wives in the most intimate of relationships, this is an exercise of mutual submission after the character of God. All right, so that's what it looks like in marriage. Now, Paul is going to get into chapter 6. What does submission look like in the family? In the family. So, so outside of the, the marriage unit, how about in the family circle, in the household, between children and parents? It looks like obeying and bringing up. Obey and bring up. Let's read chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Very uh, similar to Colossians chapter 3. It's the parallel verse here. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And then in verse 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And I'll be honest with you, when I, when I initially read these things, children obey your parents and the Lord, the mental imagery that I have is, is of a child. You know, the, those sitting here on the steps during children's story. But check it out. We're all children. <laughs> right? Maybe we're farther removed from that season of being dependent children. But what's really interesting is that this same uh, term, children, is the very, very same term in chapter 5, verse 1. Imitating God as dear children, dearly loved children. Friends, we, we are all children, and we are called to obey our parent figures, our, our biological parents in the Lord. Children are called to obey. Obey, that, that word obey is really interesting. In Hebrew, there is no word for obey. It simply means to hear. Uh, it's, it's really the word for hearing is the word for obedience. And you just kind of determine depending on context. Here, the word for obey in the Greek is really an intensification of the verb to hear or to listen. So really, to obey is to act under the authority of one to whom you're listening. So kids, children, no matter what life season you may be in, we ought to listen. We ought to listen well to those that God has put as parents in our lives. Amen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And this is, again, similar to wives submitting to husbands as to the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children are to act under the authority of the parent and do so in Jesus. In other words, this kind of obedience doesn't happen outside of a surrendered relationship to God. It just doesn't. I mean, we, we might fake it. <laughs> we might give an external conformity to our parents' desires, but only as we are in Jesus, only as we are surrendered to him and submitted to him. Remember, chapter 5, verse 21, submit to one another in the fear of God. It only happens as we are surrendered to God himself. So genuine obedience that honors our parents, that bonds us to our parents, happens in the Lord, by the Lord, and for the Lord. Yeah. Chapter 6, verse 4 now, addressing the fathers uh, is what Paul uses here. And really, these principles can be applied to, to parents uh, in that role, whether biological or, or mentoring roles. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. 
but bring them up in the training of the Lord. So how do fathers and parents express mutual submission? I'll tell you what, it's not by provoking. It's not by provoking. That, that word provoke, it's, uh, it's an idea of stirring up anger from right up next to them. Like uh, almost kind of getting under their skin. The idea has this, uh, of, uh, the, or the word carries this idea, an association of closeness. Getting under their skin or getting all up in their grill. Okay, that, that's just not how it works. Okay, we, we don't push buttons to put kids in their place. No, 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 that's, that's not how we mutually submit to our kids. Instead, the positive instruction in verse 4 is to bring them up. Bring them up. The word is the same word in chapter 5, verse 29, where it's talking about husbands nourishing their wives. Here it's translated, bring them up. So this, it stands in parallel to husbands loving, and loving their wives as they nourish and care for themselves. Parents, we ought to let our interactions be more about providing and caring and less about picking and criticizing. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> that the goal of our discipline would move our kids towards self-discipline. Characterized more by what we can provide for them than what we take away from them. Giving them the tools to govern themselves in the way of the Lord. Man. Some of us have the privilege of, of raising young ones, little ones in the home. Some of us are sending young ones away. <laughs> Some of us are those young ones who are sent away. <laughs> uh, wherever you are as you're hearing this, I, I want us to recognize that God's grace can transform our relationships. And I know that maybe some of us are coming from frames of reference where this was not the dynamic. Where, where the dynamic was not characterized by mutual submission, but maybe the polar opposite. And that has created a lot of hurt and scars mm -hmm. that only the grace of God can heal. Amen, amen. So I don't want to be ignorant of this. The reality is that when we bear those burdens, we are more often or more likely to perpetuate those burdens in future generations. But God's grace... Where our sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen. And so, as you're hearing these things, maybe even uh, traumatic flashbacks are, are, are being stirred up in your own heart and mind. And I just want to invite you to take those things to the Lord and allow Him to be your Father that heals and that brings you up. Amen. Brings you up. That's right. That's right. Okay. So we're looking at mutual submission, what it looks like in the marriage, love and respect, what it looks like in family, obeying and bringing up. And then here, what it looks like in work. Whoa, 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 in work. And it looks like sincerely serving, sincerely serving. Where Paul takes it from here in chapter 6, verse 5, we're in the book of Ephesians again, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Paul is addressing bond servants and masters, Okay. Bond servants and masters. Now, in the Roman world, this is a, a little bit uh, far removed from us. But, you know, when we think of servitude, when we think of slaves and slavery, you know, we, we have a frame of reference of, 
uh, New World slavery, African slavery. But this, what Paul is speaking from, first century uh, Roman Empire, is somewhat distinct from what we often think of when we think of slavery and all its racial injustices. Though, though what Paul is addressing here, that system of slavery was not free from its own abuses. Okay, don't get me wrong there. But as one commentary put it, Roman slavery was non-racial, and it was temporary. It wasn't necessarily a permanent, like, this is your life lot. Okay? And so for that reason, one commentator says that Roman slavery was more like indentured servitude, an economic system that Rome used to get its work done, whether through workers of high and educated status or low and uneducated status. This was just the way that they employed people. Okay. Now, the gospel of principles here that we're going to look at in verses 5 through 9, I would submit that they are most applicable to the employment world. Okay? And some of us uh, have been blessed with jobs. Some of us have been blessed to, to say sayonara to those jobs. Okay? Uh, some of us, <clears throat> maybe, maybe, you know, we, we contract with people uh, very frequently, whether at a restaurant or maybe we've asked someone to serve, uh, give us, provide some service to us in our home, whatever the case might be. So these principles, let's, let's try to kind of think broadly beyond these terms of bondservant and masters. But let's read this here. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible says this, Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. Now that's really interesting. Masters according to the flesh. Paul is kind of putting a little footnote. Hey, God didn't design it that way right? It's according to the flesh. But still, there's instruction that the gospel can be applied to, All right? Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, as in, you know, only when your boss is watching or only when the security cameras are on, Okay? Not with eye service as men, pleaser, as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Wow. This is really instructive, especially for those of us who are in the workforce, who are employed, who have people that we directly report to and things. How do we, how do we mutually submit even in the workplace? Well, we do it through sincere service. Sincere service. Again, this obedience is as to Christ. Where is it? In verse 5, the, the latter half, with fear and trembling, insincerity of heart, as to Christ. Again, this stands in parallel to wives submitting to husbands as to the Lord. It stands in parallel to children obeying their parents in the Lord. So as, as employees, as service providers, we can provide sincere obedience as to Christ only when we are in a surrendered relationship to Jesus. This sincere obedience is only possible in the Lord when we've consecrated ourselves to him, and when we recognize that our work is actually a gift from the Lord. That's when our service is genuine, not just for show or eye service, not just when others are watching, like we said, because we're doing it for the Lord and from the heart. Amen. He's the one we ultimately serve. 
Recognize that today. I don't know how overbearing your, your boss is. I don't know how micromanaging your supervisors may be. But ultimately, he is the one from whom our work, our capacity to work even comes. He's the one that we serve, and he's the one from whom our reward and recompense truly comes. I can do my best for others because I want to give my best to God. Amen. That's the point. That's the point. How about for those who may be entrusted with those supervisory roles, those employing roles as an employer, or maybe we've contract, you know, uh, the, you know, in customer service, there's that saying, hey, the customer is always right. That's, that's really a submission attitude there. So I'm walking into a store. I'm the employer, so to speak. I'm the one that's engaging and contracting and providing the, the financial recompense for those that are providing service. So how, how do we, in those situations, how do we mutually submit? Verse 9. Chapter 6, verse 9. And you masters... Do the same things to them. Hold on. <laughs> and you masters, do the same things to them. You employers, you managers, you supervisors, do the same things to them. Well, what same things? What same things? Sincerely serve. Not just when they're watching. Not just when they can write you a good review but because you're doing it for the Lord. Sincere service. Yes, those in the employer role are not merely entitled to being served, but to sincerely serve as well is the call. For those in employer, supervisory, executive, ownership roles, whatever the case might be, there's a real call to give something up here. There's a real call to yield, to surrender. Let's keep reading. And you masters do the same things to them. Here's the next few words. Giving up threatening. What? Giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So what do we give up? When, we're, when we find ourselves in those kinds of roles with others in the transaction world, the consumer world, the, you know, whatever it is that we find ourselves in, we give up any and all tendencies to force submission and servitude. Again, this stands in parallel to husbands who hold a headship role but are called to love sacrificially. It stands in parallel to parents who, who ought not to demand honor from kids but live deservingly of it through tender care and provision. This idea, it captures the reciprocal nature of mutual submission probably the most clearly of all the three things, or all the three spheres that Paul has addressed. It captures that reciprocal nature of mutual submission. All that slaves or servants or employees are called to do, masters, employers, supervisors, you're called to do the same. Serving as to Christ with all sincerity, not just for show, but really living out the golden rule in integrity, in equity, because of my desire to please my true employer, <laughs> the God who shows no partiality. Amen. Three spheres, three ways we exercise mutual submission, love and respect, obedience and bringing up, sincere service with one another. Man, as you're hearing this today, maybe you're like me and you're feeling completely convicted. <laughs> 
overcome with guilt and sorrow and realizing your shortcomings, like, oh, this is what grace is supposed to look like. Maybe you feel like you've fallen short of this call to imitate God through mutual submission. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Friends, if you're, if you're there, if you're hearing that today, you're shaking your head at, at, at maybe at your own track record, or maybe you're just like, man, I wish that person would hear this. <laughs> i tell you what, wherever you are in this, friends, we've been saved by grace through faith. Amen. All that we've read in chapter 5 and 6 has been backed by this long runway of chapter 1, 2, and 3, where we have blessings on high. We are accepted in the beloved. We've been saved by grace through faith. Though we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, we've been made new in Christ. Friends, we can bring all of that shortcoming, all that sense of shame and sorrow and failure, and we can bring that to the throne of grace today. We can. We can. We can lay hold of his saving grace, lay hold of his uniting grace, lay hold of his assurance that if he can, if he can resurrect my heart, he can revive my relationships. Amen. And let's be honest here, because it's always easier to submit to one another when that other is submitting to me. Have you, have you felt that? <laughs> it's always easier for a, a parent to submit to their child when, when, when that child is submitting right back, right? Or as an employer, you're, you're willing to serve, you're willing to provide for all your employees' needs as long as they're willing to do the same back. As husbands and wives, wives are, find an easier time respecting their husbands when their husbands are truly loving like Christ, right? And the destructive cycle is that when one person in a relationship does not submit, you know, through love and respect or through obedience and bringing up, whatever the case, when, when one person in that relationship does not submit, you know what? The other responds somewhat negatively. And whether or not they intend to disrespect or hold back love, it is still perceived as such. It's really interesting. There, there was a study of like 7,000 men and women asking them in their marriage, um, you know, when, when you experience conflict, how do you feel? And 83% of husbands said they felt disrespected, while 72% of wives said they felt unloved. Okay, we, we perceive that. That's how we're wired. That's why the Bible is writing it in these words. So the destructive cycle is when one person in a relationship does not submit, the other responds negatively, and then it's perceived as withholding that submission, and, and then just goes back and forth in this downward spiral, exactly. Trying to disrespect, trying to, to provoke. No, no, that's not what's intended. That's just how their negative response was perceived. But you know what? Paul is calling us to live with a vision of submission, whether or not that submission is reciprocated. Oh, but for the grace of God. <laughs> I truly believe that God's grace frees us to choose to love sacrificially, to choose to respect to choose to obey, to choose to bring up, to choose to sincerely serve in the fear of Christ and doing it not for what we'll get back, but doing it for all that Jesus has already given to us. 
for obedience to his will, for the sake of being imitators of the one who loves and respects unconditionally and unendingly. Only grace can break that destructive cycle. That's why we find these words backed by, you have been saved by grace through faith. Okay? Only grace can break this destructive cycle. It's grace that saves, transforms, and resurrects. Can you imagine a community of people who in the home, in the marriage, and even in their workplaces, exercise mutual submission by the grace of God? Can you imagine what that kind of community would look like in the eyes of the rest of the world? Can you imagine what kind of transforming influence that would have? Not just in your home, but man, that overflows in a neighborhood. That overflows beyond your cubicle. That overflows beyond your own little playground. Whatever, Friends, grace can break this destructive cycle and grace can transform communities. Man, it's grace that saves. It's grace that transforms. And grace received from God gives me all I need to choose to respect and love, to choose to obey and bring up, to choose to, to sincerely serve. And so, two invitations today. Two invitations. Invitation number one, will you exercise faith in God's grace to make you an agent of whole relationships? Will you say, yeah, I believe that God's grace can not only save me and pardon me from sin, but that God's grace can actually make me, transform me, into an agent or catalyst for whole relationships. You want to say yes to that grace today? Amen. Amen. Second invitation. Second invitation. Maybe today, as we're reading through this, there is a particular relationship that is a special burden to you. I use the word special, but maybe it's not so special. (laughs) But it is a, a, a hurtful burden to you. It's a life-sapping burden to you. I want to invite you today to bring that relationship to the throne of grace. Karen's going to play for us some uh, music of reflection, as she does. I want to invite you to, during that time, just to talk with the Lord about that relationship, that one. Will you do that today? Yeah. Let's pray. Father in heaven, You, I mean, for you to instruct us in these things, it must mean that you can empower and equip us for these things. Lord, for you to hold a vision of submission for us, it's not something that that you are calling us to without already exemplifying this yourself. Lord, thank you for being the one who gave yourself for us. And Lord, it's in response to that grace that we want to exercise grace in our spheres of relationships too. And so, Lord, we pray that you would will work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. We pray that grace would have such a redeeming, reviving, restoring effect on our lives that we could be used by you to have a redeeming, restoring, and reviving effect on our relationships. And so, Lord, hear our prayer as we continue just to talk with you about 
Maybe that one, that, two, that particular relationship that is of such deep burden to us. In Jesus' name.